about to go on record and say that absolutely no one needs an edible anus <laughs> on any holiday. And that is my public service announcement for this podcast. Um, <clears throat> tonight we're talking about BDSM and um, writing it and um, um, all that jazz. And uh, we're going to get started. And um, Jilly has a soapbox. I think she's going to get on it. And um, we're going to talk, we're gonna talk about uh, mixing um, drugs and alcohol with um, BDSM. First thing to get that out of the way, to get the soapbox done, and then we can go on and talk about the uh, nuances of uh, riding BDSM and um, uh, just good practices and uh, weaving consent into your work and how important that is and um, – just a couple of you know different elements that um that have come up to us both of us in in the writing of BDSM um and we're going to get started Girl, I got your box ready. Get up on it. It's it's a nice box. It's soap milk soap box. <laughs> Take off your shoes first. Yeah, it started. It started because yeah, I can't have me on heels getting out of box. But it, it was. It started because I had read. Um, I was reading a BDSM story, and this isn't the first time this has happened. Where I've read one where it's taking place in in a, in a dungeon, like a like one where you like an an actual um, business type establishment where you know they have uh they have to pay insurance and. They have a, a space that's like in a – I actually did have, go to one in a strip mall once. Even if this is a very odd location for a dungeon, there it was, right in a strip mall. Um, but, you know, like prof- a professional dungeon. Um, and there was alcohol being served, and I was like, no, no, no. Um, and I've been to, like, every – I feel like I've been to every place in the sun where you can have BDSM practice. And um, the more business-like one is – the less likely they're going to serve alcohol. Um, almost to the point of, like, I don't know how you could get a liquor license in, a, in an establishment where you're letting people hit, hit, hit each other. Um, because there's, there's there, aside from, the, I'll get to consent, the consent side of the whole thing about alcohol and BDSM in a second, but um, in a lot of areas, you know, police the police departments, even in areas like even the Bay Area, which is where I was from, um, for a long time actively persecuted the BDSM community. I mean, they would they would look for any reason to shut you down, and you could not have any question about the consent of what was going on in in that facility. And um, there's no quicker path to questioning consent than somebody being drunk. And it just it just doesn't it just doesn't work. And aside so aside aside from the legality of like getting your business shut down, it's just it's just bad juju on the consent side. As, as from the, from the side of the submissive, um, playing with a drunk submissive to me is 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 just as bad as having sex with somebody who's drunk. It is just they are not in any position to consent to what you are doing to them, and it's just it's just it's just taboo. You don't you don't play with someone who's drunk. Um, physically, drunk, physically. Just the idea of being intoxicated, um, it lowers not only your inhibitions, but it also lowers your ability to respond to pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can allow yourself to be hurt more than you normally would. And I'm a masochist. I've, I've never made any um, 
um, secret of that. Um, I've been in scenes. I've been on stage in front of over a hundred people. I have, I've experienced some of the things that I've um, written about in Ties That Bind in some way, um, not to the full extreme that I did um, in various expositions, but I've been in those positions and when you're letting someone cane you, the last thing you need to do is dull your senses. Mm-hmm. Mm, go on now. <laughs> and also, I mean, there's there's subtle things that even, I mean, you, you have to, it's a combination from a safety perspective of the dom knowing what they're doing and the submissive giving feedback on what's going on in their body to make sure that nobody gets hurt. Because, I mean, you can, you can, um, have nerve damage from bad bondage, um, right. and that's that's and that's a case of you know you need the submissive to be able to be in the right frame of mind too, and subspace can actually be a hindrance, which is why it's so important that the dom actually know how to to tie someone up correctly if if you know to make sure that you're not cutting off circulation or putting pressure on the wrong spot. But if the submissive can't feel what's going on in their hands or their feet or whatever. Um, there's just something you just it just it's it's bad news from the submissive side if their if their senses are are hindered in any way um, in terms of their body in terms of being hurt seriously injured um, and then from the dom from the dom side of things I think any dominant who is under the influence who who would tie someone up or strike them take a flogger to somebody a cane. Um, it, it, it's just irresponsible. It's just irresponsible. I, I would have no no respect for somebody who would who would do impact play or bondage or anything like that with somebody when they were drunk. It's dangerous. I mean, too. If you can't, um, if you can't drive with some, car, you can't with drive some implements, it's very dangerous. Um, yeah. I don't think a lot of people realize that um, you can kill somebody with a whip, with a horse whip. Um, you could kill somebody by flogging them. And let's not even get into the discussion of how many times you could be hit by a cane badly before it kills you. We're talking organ damage, um, spine damage. Um, the last thing you need to do is to give somebody who's drunk or in any way intoxicated, whether it be drugs or I mean, even just as simple as something as pot. Um, any of the harsher elements could literally kill you. You can be flogged to death. This is not something that you play with. Uh, it's just, it's it's very serious. Play was the wrong word to use there. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's dangerous. And I, so I had made, I had made a, I made a comment about um, that it does, it just, whenever I read a scene in a, in a BDSM club, now I have been to, I can't say I haven't been to BDSM events that don't, that take place in a bar because I have been. I've been to events that take place in the bar, but the people playing in those cases are are usually doing a demo or an exhibition, and they have several safety people there. And they, a they're not drinking, and their safety people aren't drinking, and their safety people are there to make sure the crowd doesn't get too close. Um, so it's a very carefully planned event. Um, and the few times I have ever in my life walked into a scene where people were drinking and playing, I walked out. Um, I only needed to experience that badly once to ever, um, just from a witness side of the thing, it would never even, it never, by the time I got involved with BDSM, it never even occurred to me to to pick up a flogger under the influence. Um, 
but you know, early on, I've been to some private parties where there was a lot of liquor, and and that's just it, things were very bad. People got hurt, and um, and there was this notion that you know that it because the scene was negotiated to ahead of time, and in that in in case of one person who got pretty seriously hurt, um, that they had negotiated the scene ahead of time what was going to happen that night, but. By the time this the submissive was so out of her mind drunk that she couldn't she couldn't her consent was it didn't matter that it was negotiated to ahead of time she could not have her consent could not have been maintained because at any moment and if you had asked her you know she was not she was not mentally capable of confirming her consent and I think once you hit that point it, it just it, it's just not something that should be happening. So the idea of, you know, reading fiction where somebody's in, in, in especially a really nice BDSM club or where there's membership or whatever, and there's a bar and people are being served, um, that's just, it's too strange for me. I, I, it, it's so, it's so, back in, that's like, that's my, my disbelief committed suicide in, a, in kind of an epic way when I read that kind of thing. So this doesn't happen. Now, there are, there are some clubs where, like you identify what you're going to be playing or drinking. And it's like once you decide that you're going to drink, you don't get to switch the other direction. Um, right. I've been in those kinds of clubs so, where you go in and, like, I've met doms that way where I, okay, we'll meet here, we'll have this discussion, we'll have a couple of drinks, but I'm going home by myself at the end of the night. Um, if you don't agree with that, then we're not meeting at all. You know? Um, and that would happen, and I... um would negotiate what I was willing to do, what I wasn't willing to do. And then we would meet again, either in that location or in a different location, sober. <laughs> because, you know, because a lot of times what I've experienced um, in is that there's a social dynamic to um, to these clubs where you get to know people and you get comfortable and you arrange things. But if you're arranging things with people who um will drink during a scene then you're setting yourself up for a very unsafe and dangerous experience now you can say that if you're writing this that it isn't the same that it's not reality that you don't need to worry about it but in the back of my mind when I was writing ties that bind everything I did I thought to myself okay do I do I do this do I talk about this? Do I? How far do I go? What kind of example am I setting for my reader um, as far as what is acceptable behavior for a dom and what is not acceptable behavior for a dom? Um, because what if I'm the first BDSM fiction they ever read? And that isn't even a question now because I know for a fact that I was the gateway drug. <laughs> to a lot of people's BDSM reading. And that's a heavy responsibility if you care about other people. Because you can influence them without even realizing it in a very unconscious manner. Mm -hmm. You can influence people's desires, their um, their fantasies. You can influence their impressions of people. And if you think that's not true... Think about how many people have been disillusioned recently 
by the actions of men in power in Hollywood. Um, how difficult is it to watch a Mel Gibson movie now for you? Right? And I used to fucking love Lethal Weapon, but now I can't stand to look at him. But based yeah. on his movies before that came out, I, I I thought he was a good person. I just, the, you know, unconsciously in the back of my mind, it never even occurred to me that he was a sexist son of a bitch. Was that slander, or is that libel? Oh, when it's true, so. <laughs> yeah, well, all you say is it, it's your opinion that he's a sexist son of a bitch, so therefore it's neither slander nor libel, whether it's the truth <laughs> or not. <laughs> it is my opinion. <clears throat> but there are others, like, I really enjoy Matt Damon's work, but the more he speaks, the less I enjoy him. He needs to shut his mouth. He's ruining the Martian for me. Yes, like, just be quiet. Don't talk <laughs> Be quiet, me. Matt. Just hush. Just hush. <laughs> you don't know what you're saying, so you need to shut your mouth. That's like when Tom Cruise came out against um, depression drugs and called postpartum um, depression a myth and all that. It's just, that was like the final straw for me when it came to Tom Cruise. So if you think that um, your fiction doesn't have the ability to influence people, you're, you're very much mistaken because we all had impressions on these of, of these actors based on their on the body of their work, only to have it completely disillusioned by their reactions in reality. But here's a different one. My grandmama loved the fuck out of the rifleman. She loved Chuck Connors. She thought he was the most amazing thing. She loved watching him on TV. Then she watched Roots. And she hated him the rest of her life. She could not stand to look at him the rest of her life based on his role in Roots. Sometimes you make an association like that and you just can't ever get past it. It's like that's all you can see. A lot of people, another conception that got is that has been made for a lot of people is that BDSM equals domestic violence, and that even um, yeah. domestic discipline is domestic violence. And there is a difference between domestic discipline and domestic violence, of course. But for a lot of people, that connection has been made, and it can't be unmade. Mm-hmm. Some. Someone mentioned something in the chat room. They said they had read a series or was like a, a two-drink maximum or something in a BDSM club. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's hard. Hmm. Let me tell you, here's, here's the issue I see with that from a real-world scenario perspective. Um, and, you know, fiction is fiction. B, fictional BDSM is often so far removed from reality that it's ridiculous. Um, but here's, here's let me see what happens when you have a two-drink maximum. Um Let's say it's from the submissive side of the house, and you, you, um, you wake up the next day, and you had your two drinks, and you went out and seen, and it was enough to dull your senses, and um, you got a little bit hurt, or um, your your um, your 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 um, 
what you negotiated to with, with um, having more retrieval issues. But the things you had agreed to, your, the things you consented to, it got pushed um, in a way that you're uncomfortable with the next morning, um, and that maybe you would have stopped it, maybe you would have safeguarded during the scene, who knows. But because you were drinking, you blame yourself. Um, and instead of putting, and that's just, that's kind of just the thing people do is the, the Dom is at fault in that situation. Probably if you got hurt, depending upon, but on the other hand, if you can't relay that you're hurt, um, it's just, it's such an ugly scenario, but let's say that consent was violated, but you were, senses were too dull to notice what was going on, that too much had happened. Um, your Dom is completely at fault. But you're going to feel guilty, like you shouldn't say anything. And it's just, it's an ugly situation. Now, from the Dom's side of the perspective, um, let's say that you have your two drinks, and you get your submissive, and you go out on the floor, and maybe you're completely clear-headed, and maybe you don't do anything wrong, but you hurt your submissive. And maybe it's not because you're drinking, but would you ever be able to know for sure that your submissive, submissive didn't get hurt because you had alcohol? There would be no way to know. No way also, to know. the two-drink minimum doesn't take into effect that I don't drink these days. But when I did, two drinks wouldn't have impacted me at all. Today, one drink would have me on my ass. Mm-hmm. And one drink for a girl who weighs a buck ten is a diff is very different from a, for a girl who weighs a buck fifty. Your weight has or a guy has that weighs three hundred pounds. Two hundred exactly. So one drink, two drinks. It all depends on the person. Because right yeah. now, a, a single short Crown and Coke would have me on my ass. I would be giggling, telling all you bitches I love you because I'm that drunk. <laughs> I'm that drunk who loves everybody. Unless I have tequila. And then I'm that drunk who wants to fight everybody. (laughs) 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 Just saying. (laughs) The only only, only club I ever went in where I thought the alcohol thing sort of worked was because the social and the play area was kept separate. And if you had the wristband on that said that you were drinking, you were not allowed on the play floor. And that's for everybody's safety because there is nothing worse as a dom than having to police your scene as it is. Because you've got to police your scene as it is. But can you imagine having to police it against drunks? Oh, no way. Because you're responsible been, for the person you've got on the cross. You know? I've, been in, I've been to what essentially basically was an, ex, was an exhibition where the audience was allowed to drink, but those on stage were not. And that seems reasonable to me. Because you're there for a show. Yeah. <laughs> And I've been, I've, been, I've been to that in bars where we've had events in bars and stuff. Um, but in that case, there's safety people. Um, right. It's not just the dom on stage exhibiting. There's safety people to make sure those bunch of rowdy drunks aren't getting anywhere near that scene. Because in that situation, you're responsible for making sure your submissive is safe, especially if they're bound in any way. And, um, or if they're in subspace or whatever. And, you know... When you have people around you drunk... You can't control. Um, you can't control the scene. No, you can't control who's touching. I mean, how difficult would it be for that to get out of control? It wouldn't be difficult. It could at get all. out of control. 
it, yeah, it would, it would could get, go very bad. Very In quickly. a heartbeat. And so, and so from a, from a perspective of, of, um, just safe BDSM, you just, you don't mix actual play and alcohol. I mean, people do it at private parties all the time. Um, but not private parties I would go to. Um, but people Beyond the consent issues and the obvious injury issues, um, alcohol does things to your body. Too much alcohol can kill you. There are certain drugs that make your heart race that you would not want to mix with um, being flogged. <laughs> I mean, because these are activities. I mean, you could you could have a submissive stroke out on you if they were drugged up and the scene was intense. Heart attacks, anything would be on the table if you mix drugs, alcohol, and some of the more... Um, Intense practices. Not 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 even to count. Someone mentioned earlier in the chat room that um that alcohol is a blood thinner. Is that true? I don't know. I'm asking you. Do you know? Is she gone? She left me. Sorry, sorry. I didn't realize I was muted. I muted the <laughs> acting. Burp. But there you go. Um, uh, yes, yes, it's a, it's a, um, it, it does thin the blood. So if you're doing um, play piercing, somebody who's not, um, it, it typically, it typically is something over a, a more protracted period of time. Usually, you wouldn't have mm-hmm. one drink and immediately have a blood thinning effect. But yeah, especially if, if, you're, if you're, but if you're somebody who, if you're somebody who drinks on a regular basis, your blood could be thinner than somebody who doesn't drink, even if you're stone cold sober. Wow. That never crossed my mind. But it didn't need, it need to be taken into account, you know. Um, blood blood play is very serious on its own without adding that kind of factor to it. I think I had read once um, that uh, people who drink, like, a glass of wine every week or something like that get the same benefit um, in terms of um, um, thinning of the blood, that somebody who takes aspirin preventatively for um, their heart heart gets. attack. Yeah, yeah, I've, yeah. I've heard it, that because it thin, it thins it just enough to help prevent. Um, um, it helps prevent clogged arteries. Yeah, alcohol is a big factor when it comes to the issue of consent. And and consent is so vital with BDSM because of the questionable legality issues. And and, and legality of it actually varies from area to area. And also because not only if your submissive is drunk, not only are you going to be charged or have the potential to be charged with rape, you could also be charged with assault and battery, um, there could be weapons charges if you use instruments on this person. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> if this person has some kind of health event, you could be charged with attempted murder. I mean, these are these are the kinds of things that could happen to you. 
and probably would happen to you, but because not only are you engaging in this very dangerous activity, um, you're you're engaging in a taboo activity that certain sects of people would have liked nothing better to do than put your ass in jail. <clears throat> On the other side of it, if you're the submissive, uh, you end up in the emergency room. And you admit that you went into this facility to engage in this activity and got drunk. But things got out of hand and no one listened to you and you said no and you used your safe word and no one listened. Are they going to take you seriously? Because, and I hate to use the word regular, <clears throat> but regular rape victims already encounter so much crap in the um, judicial system. I knew a submissive once who reported a sexual assault and the cop said to her, to her face, isn't this kind of like a hooker reporting a rape? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When you move into the fiction arena, arena, you you have this, this insulation because you're writing fiction. But like I said, when I started writing Ties That Bind, my goal was to create um, a story uh, based around the issues of consent and um, good practices and safety. Um, although I've been told more than once that... Um, there's nothing um, sane <laughs> about ties that bind, but that's about perspective. <laughs> well, ties that bind would be more risk aware consensual kink than, say, sane and consensual. So, there, that would be my counter to them. <laughs> but I made the point. Um, when it came to sexual activity, to only show consensual acts. Now, it's a harsh world, so their dis- their discipline system for social injustice is 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 correspondingly harsh. Um, and there's only one. But there's only one scene in Ties That Bind where I would say that the person being punished did not consent to being punished. In any other instance, they had an opportunity to say, you know what, no, you're not going to do this. I'd prefer a legal process instead. Because they don't, don't want to ruin their career, so, that, so they take the spanking and go on about their day. But the only time someone was punished in Ties That Bind where they did not get an opportunity for a legal remedy was Jordan. And I don't regret it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I had a lot of problem with that scene. They had a real problem with it. Uh, I warned. (laughs) I put a big old warning on it. (laughs) I mean, I didn't have a problem with it conceptually. It was a tough read. It's a tough read. I mean, and when I reread Ties of Bind, I skim the details of that scene because, you know. <laughs> I skim um, it too, I and I that. wrote it. I, I know where you're coming from. Just don't so, ever you know. read 
those don't ever read in the middle of ties that bind if you haven't read it recently you you must always start at the very beginning because otherwise it is like getting slapped in the face you're like oh shit what (laughs) and i wrote it and i have that problem you kind of get eased into the the extreme nature of the verse But if you jump in at the deep end, it's a little shocking. I think I think there's that is one of the, one of the elements of, of actually I think the most good BDSM stories I've read is that they do ease you in, um, to, to, especially if they're going to be harsher play or harsher themes or whatever. Is you do get eased into it. Um, as opposed to just wham right out of the gate and you're a little bit reeling and going, oh, where's the exit? (laughs) I need to get out of this quickly. (laughs) I I thought I was ready for this, but I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa, back up, Nelly. Whoa. (laughs) It was a little shocking. Because what I had did was, is when I got ready to finish the North Star, I I jumped in. I thought, I'll just start with a lovely agony. That was not the best decision on my part. And I wrote it, right? So you would think that it wouldn't be, but I had not read it in over a year. End of Lovely Agony. I was actually holding the back of my head. And for those of you who don't know, I only really hold the back of my head when I'm really shocked or horrified. (laughs) (laughs) It's my thing. If you ever, if you knew me and you're trying to hold my head, you 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 need to take cover because <laughs> something terrible has just happened. <sighs> I just wasn't prepared. But it's kind of shocking when you read something that you that you wrote a long time ago and you're reading it, and it's almost like it's brand new to you. <laughs> or maybe that's just my fibromyalgia talking. I don't know. <laughs> No, I had I have I've read some stuff of mine that I was that was older that I was like, oh, this is really interesting, or I, this doesn't seem at all like me. There was something I wrote that I um I didn't think I had written it because it was so unfamiliar. I was like, I didn't write this. No, I couldn't have written this. It has my name mine. on it. Huh? Are you sure I wrote this? <laughs> this seems so strange. This is what I'm worried about sharing really work changed. with Lady Holder. Because I can share it with her, and then, like, a year later, I'll be like, did, did I write that? <laughs> and she'll be like, yeah, you wrote that. <laughs> Let me go check my files. <laughs> yeah, I got a copy of that. <laughs> it's really helpful. It really is, I have to say. Um. Fictional environments for BDSM allow us to do push the envelope in some ways. Um, push the envelope in a lot of ways because, like, you did it with the platform um, BDSM AU in general, which allows you to push the the envelope in ways you couldn't ever have. And because um, unless there's like some, you know, dynamic virus that's going to infect everybody. Um, oh, I think I just gave myself a plot bunny. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, unless there's like some sort Everybody of virus, that causes, it's a virus really that causes dynamic. Um, you have 
that's not going to happen in the real world. There's not going to be that kind of, you're not going to have a BDSM earth. That's not going to, it's just not going to be. So, um, you know, we push, and you, and like you had that, the, the cream that you have in, um, in yeah, ties the bind that, that allows you to push the boundaries of what's, um, possible in regular seating, like frequent seating. Um, it might be right. something somebody could do on an occasional basis if they could spend a week in bed, you know, that kind of thing. Um, right, exactly. Because there are scenes that Rodney participated in in Ties That Bind that would have put me on bed rest for a whole day at least. And then I would not have been interested in sex or anything related to it for at least, I don't know, two or three weeks. <laughs> yeah. And you need to call off work for probably you'd be in bed for a day, and then you need to call off work for two or three days beyond that. Is that like but physical you, exhaustion, you, emotional exhaustion? Um, yeah. Then physical recovery. So you 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 brought in elements that allow you to push the the boundary in um, in, in the fiction to to create something a little bit more extreme that um, felt plausible. Uh, the, the where to put, where, where to push the boundaries is not around things that make you question consent. That's not that's not something to push the boundaries on in fiction, in my opinion. Um, this is all just my opinion, of course, because you know. But if you're going to write that, before, people people can do whatever the hell they want. But if you're going to write it, you need to own it, and you need to warn for it. There is absolutely no excuse whatsoever not to warn. For non-consensual activity. I would say that even in professional work, you have a responsibility to your reader to make it clear that there are going to be things in your work that um, will push their boundaries. Mm -hmm. And I said before on the podcast that to me, dubious consent is when two drunk people fall in bed together and bone their brains out. And they both wake up in the morning and they go, what the fuck did we do? And the reason I say that that's dubious consent is because neither one of them could reasonably, res- they were in it together. They had equal levels of impairment and neither one of them could give clear consent. But as long as they are equal in their impairment and making their bad decision together, it's not something that I have a particular problem with on the consent front because I've had drunken sex before. Um, yeah, me but, too. Um, I I've never had sex with somebody do. so drunk that I don't remember it. No. Um, although, you know, I I prefer um, you know, I prefer to be clear-headed for sex, you know. It, it, it's actually waking, you know, it's actually waking up in the morning after drunk sex enough times when you realize it's not something I want to do. But to me, that's that's when I talk about. But when when one partner is drunk and the other partner is stone cold sober, to me that's not dubious consent. To me, there is no consent. I agree. And that's my feeling. On it. That's my feeling. And the same thing happens when it comes to BDSM and consent. Is if one partner is drunk and the other partner is sober, the person who is sober has a responsibility to put that person in a cab and send them home or escort them home, or something other than have sex with them or give them a spanking. Well, that quote, sex is like boxing. If only one of you agreed to box, the other one's committed assault a battery. Right. That's right.
think it's even worse to do it when I've got a hangover than get a spanking. Um, I was see my immediate thought was spank the monkey, which was entirely different than what she actually intended. But <laughs> that's just what came into yeah, my brain. Yeah. I can't, I can't, I can't explain it. But that was my um, soapbox. Was it? You know, if you want to push the boundaries of BDSM, there's lots of ways you can push the boundaries, right? There's, you can you can make things atmospheric without having alcohol. Um, and you could have the best coffee bar in the planet in your BDSM club. You don't want people too buzzed on caffeine, but still, you know, you can you can you do other things than have alcohol being served in a BDSM club because it's just legally, ethically, morally, it's just such a bad idea. It's just, and I, I understand. I mean, I've, I, people tell me on the post I made and privately that they've been in situations in public the BDSM venues, um, outside of bars, because, I mean, bars are typically a very different thing, um, where alcohol was routinely served. And I just sort of, like, like my mouth fell open because, really? And um, they mentioned something about that they've heard people say things like that if they don't have three or four, they have to have three or four drinks before they can get their nerve up to do anything. If you need to get drunk, to get your nerve up, to get spanked or flogged or whatever, then you need to not be doing it. It's something that if you need to get drunk to do anything, you don't need to be doing it. Right. You can't do it sober. If you it's have not to something you can approach sober. You can't do it. Just say no, dude. Just say no. Just because if your brain can't get you there on your own, you have no business going there. You're not ready for it, no matter what it is. If you have to get drunk to, to ask someone to marry you, you're not ready to ask somebody to marry you. <laughs> it, if you have to physically and mentally impair yourself in order to do something, you need to ask yourself why you're trying to do it. Exactly. It's not liquid courage. It's liquid stupidity. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's chemically lowering your inhibitions. And, um, <clears throat> you know, and that's just, <laughs> I, I have such strong opinions about this. I mean, as we said, this is just, you know, when I say don't do it, of course, you know, you're a writer. You can go out and do whatever you're going to do. Um, this is my opinion about how, the, the way to approach writing in BDSM is that you shouldn't mix it with booze. But um, so that's. But now, if you're actually going to go out and practice BDSM, don't mix it with booze. You know, separate the event. It's one thing. I care much. It's one thing to meet somebody for some cocktails or go to a munch and have a beer or something like that and meet people. It's another thing to actually go there and drink with the intention of being flogged when it's over. It's just, just don't do it. It's so dangerous. Number well, one, because you you're putting yourself, yourself. You know, I've never been flogged closed. <laughs> I the the most I've ever worn when being flogged would be a pair of panties. And that isn't a situation you want to be in when you're drunk. Mm-mm. In public, or even marginally impaired. If I mean, it, you just it's just not something you want to do. And when there's more than one dick in the room. That's hard for it. 
That's a reality, ladies. Be careful. And gentlemen, be careful. Because there are a lot of men out there assume that if you make their dick hard, it's your responsibility to fix it. And I do mean a lot of men. <clears throat> I can hear the emails being started as I speak. <laughs> How dare you, Kira? That was so sexist. No, that's just statistics, motherfucker. I'm answering you right now. <clears throat> That is not to say that that men are the only threat when it comes to sexual assault by any means. Um, there are plenty of women, um, and I have encountered more than my share in um, in dynamic situations and in, in, in clubs and in um, private se- uh, sex dungeons. <laughs> I can't believe I'm kind of embarrassed to say that. <laughs> That's so silly. Um, but where... Um, you can give anybody with the wrong personality type power, and they will abuse that power, male or female. And mm-hmm. I've encountered that with women as well as men in in um, in the scene. So you know, men aren't the only threat. As a whole, human beings I mean, are fucked up. I mean, I, I mean, the worst behavior I've ever seen in a BDSM environment was actually by a woman. So um, it it can go any which way. Um, but yeah, the whole the, but the mentality about you know I got hard because you were standing there naked. You need to do something about it. That's definitely a little bit more of a guy um, thought process. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. But, but I abusive, the worst injury I ever saw a submissive take was from a woman. Yeah, yeah. And it was a bull whip. There was a bull whip involved, and she didn't. She pretended to know how to use it, but she didn't know what the fuck she was doing. And I think I knew at the moment she flicked it. I knew it was going to be bad. And even to this day, I regret not saying something. If I could have safe worded on behalf of that girl on that cross, I would have. And she got four or five strikes in. Before another dom interfered, and the girl had to have fifteen stitches. So, um, just be safe if you're going to do silly stuff. And writing, um, writing BDSM, honestly. Writing and putting your work out there, um, there's a certain responsibility um, you have to your audience um, to warn, to prepare them for what they might see. or, or um, and, and if you're not prepared to do that, you're a fucking asshole. I'm sorry. If you think that warning somebody for violence or, or rape or non-consent or anything else in your story is spoiling your plot, then your plot is shit to begin with. There, I said it. Send me an email. I don't care. I hate the whole idea. I can't tell you what's in my story because it'll spoil things, especially the warnings. I mean, if you want, if you want to leave content out, of course, why spoil the content? Um, but if you fucking can't death. tell people, 
Yeah, he feels like you can't. The character death thing, good. It's fan, and that's probably my biggest pet peeve. Is I can't tell people, well, the rape, of course. But I, I, you know, I can't. The idea of rape spoiling a story, um, being able to reveal, it's like what? <laughs> I, I, I think your your story was spoiled because it was the rape. Um, but whatever, you know. Um, but you, people justify that I can't tell you that I killed this character off because it would spoil things. It's just what. Now, I have seen authors that say, you know, go look, I really don't want to spoil who dies, but I will tell you that there's death, and if you really need to know who dies, you're welcome to write me. And <laughs> I actually took advantage of that author's policy one time, as I wrote her and said, look, I really need to know who dies. <laughs> and she wrote <laughs> me back and it. told me who, and I was like, okay, thank you. <laughs> but I, once she told me who died, I could kind of see why, once I read the story, why she didn't want to reveal it, because it was a little surprising. Um but it, it I like it when authors way. have that whited out warning space that you can highlight. Yeah, that's cool. I like that too. Yeah. That works. And if I had like if, if if I wanted to kill somebody as a surprise and like I was like okay character death highlight here if you want to know who it is I would totally do that because that would be fun. But um, I think you just you need to be careful. You need to be so careful um, because it speaks to who you are. As a writer, if you purposefully inflict trauma on your readers, I don't care if you're a professional author or not. There was this author I read once, and I read several of her books, and she killed the hero of the series in book four or five. I have never been so furious in my fucking life. (laughs) But... To her credit, she told her audience it was going to happen. She actually published the end of the book on her website before the book came out. I was still furious. Yeah. <laughs> but, it, but at least she had the last chapter of her book on her website for you to download and read if you wanted to know how the book was going to end. And um, she warned for character death and, uh, and main character death. And I was like, okay, surely it's the, oh my God, she what? <laughs> I can't believe it. I didn't buy the book. <laughs> but I can't say she didn't warn because she did. But if I'd have bought that book and read that ending, I might have sent her hate mail. And I don't do that to writers. <laughs> That's why I've never read the last um, Children of Earth series book. Because I can't stand the ending. And I, I don't. Someone told me the ending, spoiled the ending for me, and I thanked them. And I'm never going to read that book. Children of Earth, for those of you who might have missed that in my little hysterical rant there. Now, I don't, I don't think you need to be. Um, um, I mean, if you want to write a BDSM AU, or if you want to just write a BDSM scene, or whatever, I think that you can um, do fairly nominal research to get it. I mean, there's a couple of, there's a lot of online resources. There's a couple of basic books. Um, you could ask somebody you know who knows BDSM and say, hey, this one story, could you fact check it? Tell me if you think this is accurate or not. I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of different avenues 
getting the information you need, if you find the dynamic appealing and want to write about it, um, you could go to BDSM forum and, you know, ask if you have a question, like, is would alcohol be served in the dungeon, you know, or something like that, if you, if you couldn't find the answer any other way. Um, but I think there are ways to get it closer to accurate than what I see in... Um, Especially when it comes to, you know, negotiation and stuff. Um, and say for I find that they often um, make mistakes with the physicality. He, uh, some things, yeah. Um, some things it doesn't bother. It's funny because I, if some things I can deal with being wrong and some, some things like, like, you know. Especially, and the thing is, this is where detail hurts you. If you're not an expert... Don't go into a lot of detail about certain things, like about how the bondage works and stuff. It's like, no, no, no. Because the first thing that somebody who knows what they're doing is going to read is, well, that doesn't work that way. Um, so sometimes a lot there, of detail on something can, can, can actually bite you in the ass if you don't actually know what you're talking about. But even if you do know what you're talking about, a lot of detail can just be really boring because it reads like you're trying to teach. Yeah, because I like... I love the display of Japanese rope bondage, or how do you say it, shibari? Is that how you say it? Shibari. Um, but I don't want to read about it. <laughs> oh, yeah, the 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 knot-by-knot thing, it, it, you can just no, go into a coma. I don't uh, the, need to read that. I, I have a story that starts talking about the fold and the rope and threading it through, and, and it tra- I think you're visualizing the rope passing under someone's breast and wrapping around their biceps, and it's like, ugh. Yeah, 4,000 words later, and it's like, okay, what part of the body are they on now? I mean, honestly, the point of view of the submissive, and I think in a rope bondage scene, is slightly more interesting in terms of what's going on with them emotionally, not the actual nodding itself. Um, because I had a Dom. If they're I had a Dom email are. me once. Um, he emailed me, and um, we were talking about ties that bind, and um, he asked me, point blank if I was a masochist and I said that I yes I am um and um he said he he was really interested in Rodney's point of view throughout the story and that it felt very intimate and that he wondered if I'd had some kind of you know some experience with with um pain and but he also kind of wanted to ding me a little bit about using um silk rope and how uh I said you need to go back and read that scene again because it wasn't about bondage so he did. He went back and read it. He said, oh, okay. <laughs> now, there is a scene. Silk is not a good medium for bondage. It is a good medium for teaching someone to control their body. And I've had silk bondage, and it was never to the point where um, I couldn't get un- out of it. It was about controlling my body and controlling my response and not moving unless I was told to move. And I said, that's what that scene was about in Ties That Bind. And I would never use um, silk, silk in an actual bondage, heavy bondage situation because silk tightens and causes circulation, and that can be very, very dangerous. So whenever John uses silk in Ties That Bind, it's more of a exercise in Rodney's body control. And he, John even tells him, this: you need to treat treat this differently and don't move because it'll hurt and you need to pay attention to 
us together as we're doing this. It's about control. Um, it's a it's a really is an it's an ultimate act of dominance um, to teach your submissive to not move without being physically restricted. And for me, the the silk bondage was part of that, learning to not move, learning to not strain against the bondage. And that's how I learned it, for good or bad. I never liked rope um, personally for bondage. Um, it, well, mm-hmm. for starters, I don't have the patience to. You know, <laughs> I don't have the patience for all that tying and nodding and crap, and just just the act of just it, just tight, just just putting the rope away at the end of the night. Because some rope is really you take harsh. Take care of You got to wind that crap up correctly, and well, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was always much more of a cuffs kind of person than than uh, I mean I've done some work with rope but yeah the, with with some fabrics you they the the more you pull against the knot the tighter the knot gets um, mm-hmm. so if it's being used to actually like especially you can't do like suspension bondage with rope, silk ropes or anything like that unless unless no. they're not actually on the body um, because the knots just get tighter and tighter and tighter and then you just can't get them undone and they can cut circulation off and it's just it's yeah, bad. Get a knife it's, out to get the cutting done. I've seen that done. I've seen knife um knives come out to get rope off people before and I'm like, Whoa, you need to Because they're not meant for that. Um they do sell yeah. silk bondage rope, but it's but it's meant for um very light play, um, control play and display. Yeah. Like um Decorative. I've worn only silk rope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you it had all my parts covered. If, <laughs> if it wasn't, if, it, if, you, if you're careful how tight it's tied, you could, you could, you know, fashion an outfit out of silk rope. But yeah, you wouldn't actually have to be pulling against in any no, way pulling never. against something silk. Or that silk is dangerous. Scars. That's one of the reasons why when I see people being tied up with silk scarves, I always cringe. Oh, um, oh, that actually yeah, happens. That happens in real life, so that's not like fictional thing. People really do think it's. You know they don't want to. They're not. They're not real BDSM players. They're just having fun. So they get the silk scarves out of the, the drawer or ties, and they tie their partner up, and and then the, the knights get tighter and tighter and tighter. Um, but get some cuffs. I mean, just deal with the the the, the reality of having leather cuffs in your in your. Uh... Now you could you could tie you could put silk rope through the D-ring and tie it to the bedpost, that's perfectly fine. But if you want to sacrifice your rope, quite frankly, because anybody pulls against knots in a silk rope, that you're not going to be able to get them undone after a while, and you're going to be cutting that rope off. Um, yeah, that's pretty similar. That's pretty. See, I don't have the patience for that kind of thing. I just, I, I, it's, it's not my jam, so I never really got really into that kind of side of bondage. Um, um, you know, I was much more, much more into you know, nice leather cuffs, or um, than I was into to rope as a bondage medium. I like leather cuffs, like but um, honestly, the 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 best experience I ever had was the corset, the play piercing corset. <clears throat> but again, that that is an extreme practice um, for some people. Um, um, that it's not something you get on a whim. And it isn't something you wear in a regular club. It's not something you would wear in a club where you don't have someone at your back. It's the kind of thing you would wear in public if you were um, 
on display for a very dominant and protective person. Because it would be the work of nothing for some asshole to come up behind you and drag those piercings out. Or even just to touch them. And people will. People will think they're doing nothing wrong when they reach out and touch your piercing. And people should not be touching piercings. It's just they shouldn't do it. No, no, one, it's, it's not their job to cause you pain. You didn't agree to that. You didn't agree for them to cause you pain. And two, it's not sanitary. <laughs> No, it really isn't. And I have issues with sanitary. People don't wash their fucking hands, okay? You don't want them playing with your piercings. Um, so, yeah, if you were to ever get something like that, uh, it is something that I would I would really, 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 really say that you should not go out in public with it. Because you can't trust strangers with that kind of thing. Um, no. The one time I did go out in public, I was with a very popular, very well-known... I'll kick your ass if you touch my sub kind of dom. <laughs> and no one touched me. <laughs> no one. It, and you think, it you wasn't think even a, a question. And a dungeon isn't a safe environment because people behave inappropriately in dungeons too. Uh, I can't yes. tell you how many times I've had my ass grabbed in a dungeon and I'm not a submissive. <laughs> so it was sort of a little bit like, excuse me, dude, what the hell is with your hand on my ass? Um, as there was this one guy that, that at, the, at, at this one dungeon I was a member of that it was absolutely convinced that I was a submissive who just needed the right spanking to go away. <laughs> he probably thought all women mm-hmm. were, were submissive. <clears throat> You're right. In what universe? Yeah, there, there there could be a universe out there where Jilly is is a sub. This is not that universe. <laughs> No, not not in this part of the multiverse. Um, but you know, it was it was um, you know when I was training, I I did I did all the stuff. You know, I I I I've been flogged, spanked, whipped. You know, I I, I had the experience all of it. I went through all of it. And, you know, it's that kind of learn by don't. I, was, the person who taught me was sort of like you don't do anything to somebody else that you haven't had done to you. And my immediate thing was. But I'm really, and I really want to learn about cock and ball torture. <laughs> and she went, yeah. "Okay, well, exceptions will be made." Um, <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> that was the first thing I jumped to was the things I can't experience. Um, but yeah, I think I think if I wasn't converted during that process, there was no converting. Actually, I didn't have to. I didn't have to. I I I, didn't, I just kind of turned around. Um, um, with the hand on the ass, and and um, the first time it happened, and before I even had opened my mouth, um, one of the people I knew, one of the dungeon masters who was on break, who was somebody I knew personally, um, had shown him out. <laughs> <But> I was <laughs> just like, "What the fuck? Did you just touch my ass?" But the thing is, that happens. Um, and he said, "What he says is, especially because I really love to thank you." Um, and then, and, and I turned around and. Um, and, and, then, and then he was gone. Um, but, you know. <laughs> I would also say it, it can, that my, um, the, the thing in ties that bind about collars and how um, much it protects you and insulates you um, is not, that's artistic license. There are plenty well, of doms out there. artistic license for your world. But that's, that's right. Yeah, it doesn't mean There are plenty the of doms world. out there who don't give a fuck if you're wearing a collar or not. No. It's not safety. 
there are those who do respect that system wholly, mm-hmm. but there are plenty who don't, who don't see it as any kind of deterrent whatsoever, which is why I, I, mean, I said the thing about play piercing and about wearing a corset out in public, even if you're collared, is not a good idea. I wouldn't do it now. I was young and stupid. I was incredibly lucky. I mean, I took a, I took a, I took a submissive who was mostly naked. I mean, well, she was naked except for some careful application of liquid latex. Um, <laughs> That's how <street>. hot. <laughs> to the, she was, she was naked except for we, we looked up what you know we were careful about checking what the. Um, the legal requirements were for coverage, and we made sure we met the the legal the legal requirement in San Francisco um, to take her as <laughs> the Folsom Street Street Fair um, dressed that way um, with just some carefully applied black liquid latex. And um, I spent I spent the whole I mean I, for those of you who don't know what Folsom Street Fair it is like the big um, one of the biggest kink events in kink fairs, outdoor kink fairs in San Francisco, probably in the country, maybe the biggest outdoor kink event in the country. Um, and um, it happens every year in San Francisco. And um, I think even amongst kink people, you know, who are supposed to respect boundaries and limits and not do this kind of odd, but it's become much more of a spectator sport in recent years. Um, I spent the whole day um, fending people off. Uh, the whole day, that's all I did. Was I mean, I was exhausted. I was just exhausted. From, that couldn't have been any you know, fun probably, whatsoever for you. It wasn't. I spent the whole, I mean, she had a great time, but I spent the whole day fending people. I was like, I'm never doing this again. And I, I didn't really get to enjoy the fair at all. Um, so, you know, um, and I was... You know, I couldn't even. I couldn't even. I, I was. I actually had to. I was, that I was supposed to do demos that year, and I actually had to. Put, you know, send them up. So I didn't have anybody I trusted for her to sit with, um, and people just were not well enough behaved. So, um, I probably should have like brought a trench coat or something. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> it was like live and learn, not do that again. You learn from your mistakes. Uh, but yeah, I had to get kind of aggressive with a couple of guys because. Um, you know, and people kept wanting to have their picture taken with her, and that was like the worst moment because that was the moment when, and she was fine with it, but finally I was like, enough, no more pictures. Because those were the moments when things would go the most south is because that's when other people were closer to her than I was. So it was just, ugh, just terrible. Awful. <laughs> no good, awful experience. But, you know, you can create a world... Or you can write your environment to account for some of those things. You can write, um, if you want to write an environment where, um, you know, you've got a very exclusive BDSM club where people have to take classes on comportment or etiquette or something and where, you know, you kind of, you you can pull back some of these safety measures, right, so that maybe a collared submissive can, you know, wander around and be left alone. Or any submissive could wander around in the club and be left alone. I mean, you can write those protections in um, rather than just having it be the stark reality of, you know, people will be assholes everywhere. You can have as much reality in your story as you want, but 
I, just, just be careful. One of the more laughable things I see. Um, <laughs> look, dudes. I know it has to be dudes. Dudes. There is a limit as to how much dick a woman can take in a two or three hour period. Now, I know you've seen those a woman does 200 men in 24 hours porn video things. Um, I don't... The average woman would be too sore to sit after two to three hours of intense fucking, okay? I just learned, I just earned my R rating if I have, if we hadn't already this evening. Okay? Okay? And she would not be interested in fucking you again the next day. Or this gets sore. <laughs> yeah, even if she even if not just from the fucking, if especially if condoms are involved, you start to chafe. Yeah, chafing is definitely um, a thing. Uh, and and condoms, anal sex? Condoms are not as smooth as you think they are. And anal. Can we talk about anal for a second? Because um, unless... You know what? I don't even... I can't fathom whether or not anal sex is pop, is is possible every single day without there being some soreness. Your body is is, is not designed... To ignore use and physical injury, <laughs> I don't know how to say this. <laughs> it's just so the likelihood of two men fucking three to four times a day for a week with full penetration slim, slim. What's that? What's that term when the um is it, is it prep prep? Fisher, Angel Fisher. Oh yeah, yeah, Angel Fisher. Yeah, that's a tear. Yeah, tear. Tears happen. Tears actually happen in the vagina with normal, regular sexual activity. And if your penis is particularly large, going to the bathroom afterwards can be a little bit of hot agony for a second. There was, um, this is terrible, but I'm going to say it. In college, we had a scale of how good the sex was. And if you cried when you peed the next morning, you had a good time. It, the thing, now, vag, with, 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 with vaginal terror, you, you might not notice until you go to the bathroom. No. And, until you pee. Anal tearing, you, there's no way you don't know. And I don't have anything to do with going to the bathroom. There's so many nerve endings there that there's no way that that's not painful. All all day, every day. Um, and they can take quite a while to heal, too. So it's it's not something, you know, you, there's just no casual tearing of the anus, you know. Just, and lubrication is your friend. Lubrication is your best friend. In any location. And I don't care if you're a man or a woman. If you've ever had someone try to enter your anus without lubrication, they are a motherfucker. And you should never, ever, ever, ever let them anywhere near your asshole again. <laughs> because, honestly, I I don't have a dick, obviously. I'm a girl. I'm female. I was born with female genitalia. Um, but, anal sex 
doesn't have to hurt. It can be uncomfortable, yes. It can be a little overwhelming. <laughs> is, that, is that the right word? Oh, that's just not going to happen. That's just too much. It's too. Oh, wait, that's fine. <laughs> you know, there's, there's that moment where you're thinking, oh, that's not going to work. This is this is just not. Okay, great. We're great. <laughs> good and honestly if the dick is too big that can happen with vaginal sex too you're thinking no no this is not going to happen this isn't going to work this is oh wait there we go (laughs) it's going to work out just fine (laughs) so there's a moment right and that's whether you're male or female i think i don't think i don't think a man's anus is any different than mine except for the fact that they have a prostate it doesn't have to hurt it's not required or or preferred no, it doesn't. It, it shouldn't. It shouldn't hurt if you're. It shouldn't hurt. I mean, it can be uncomfortable. There's a difference between hurt and uncomfortable because they're like sometimes it can be a little you're not used to. It. It's like, wait, what's going on? Um, it can be definitely be uncomfortable, but it should not. It shouldn't. It shouldn't. If it's just pain, if there's actual pain um, at the time. Yeah, there's soreness. Like people talk about the next day soreness. That's a completely different kind of pain. That's like working going to the gym or something, and your muscles ache. Yeah, it's like oh boy, stretching out a muscle. That's that's well used pain, right? As opposed to, um, you know, because you could talk about there's all, you know, there's always pain. No, there's not always pain. Um, It's a little bit. Some people actually don't deal, and some people define the kind of stretch you get during sex as being painful. And if if stretching strikes you as painful, you may never be able to get into anal sex. or unless, really, on the other hand, um, unless your man's got a really small penis. Yeah, unless he's, well, especially if you go to the big dude, maybe he's never going to be in anal sex, but like, no. Um, but nope. it depends upon, everybody processes those signals differently. But real pain, I feel like going to physical therapy, there's a difference between productive and harmful. And real right. pain is, is an indication that something has gone awry and it doesn't have to hurt. Um, also, I don't. I can't speak to anybody else, but I have never had an anal exam with my doctor where they didn't just go straight for two fingers. So, the care right? that I right? the care that I see people going into with the one finger for twenty minutes um, in in a sex scene, I always kind of roll my eyes a little bit because <laughs> I think fingering is foreplay. I treat it like foreplay more than preparation. It's it, it's just foreplay because. Um, well, but if people I don't think you can actually scissor one finger like it's agony. You, you can't know, you, scissor. You read people. No, not people. Well, you read people like they put one finger and the other person acts like they're, you know, in agony. Um, I'm like, I don't think so. I'm like, <laughs> what are you doing with your finger, way? dude? What's your angle here? Because this this shouldn't be hurting. What kind of angle you got going on? Troll hands. I think I got troll. What are you? What are you hitting? <laughs> Is this the driest asshole in America? Where's the lube? (laughs) 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 The true story. First time I ever had an anal exam, I was, um, of course, it's my gynecologist. um, And she says, okay, now we're going to check your anus. And I'm like, no, you're not. (laughs) And she said, honey, we need to. I said, no, really, you don't. You don't. You don't need to do that. (laughs) I was like 19 or 20. She says, yes, yes, I do. We, we, We have to do it. And I'm like looking at her between between the stirrups because I'm actually up in the stirrups, right? And she's like, "That's a nice." I said, what are you waiting for? 
She said, you said no, now I have to wait for you to say yes. And I'm like, I don't want to say yes. <laughs> and she said, look, we need to do this for your own health. Please turn to my nurse and say you consent to having an anal exam. Please. I said, what, if I, what happens if I don't? She says, well, get you down out of the stirrups, and I'll be worried about your anus until the next time you come in. I'm like, whoa, guilt trip. <laughs> I said, time, fine, I, I consent I, to the anal exam. <laughs> so I actually did once consent to an anal probe. <laughs> First time I had an anal exam was after a car accident, and um, I – was strapped to a backboard in a neck brace, the whole deal, and they're doing all these neurological exams, and there's something abnormal about it. I, there's something abnormal going on with the neurological exams. I wasn't feeling something in one of my legs or something. I don't know. It's a little bit of a blur what was going on in the emergency room, except for the part where the guy goes, and now we're going to do an anal exam. And I was like, you're going to do what? <laughs> what now? What's going on? I'm sorry, my what? is fine. <laughs> it's the only part of my body that doesn't hurt. I'm good. Yes. I was like, why do you need to do that? Why are we getting into That's not the part that I hit. <laughs> that part is fine. Of course, they did explain to me about, you know, certain kinds of spinal injuries. You can have, they can, they're looking for some, I don't. I actually don't know exactly what they're looking for. Probably some <laughs> dysfunction and how the muscles of the anus are working. Because, well, actually, I do know. Because you can actually, the lose all control of everything. You've had certain kind of spinal injuries. But in any case, it was not something I was prepared for. I was like, especially not in that circumstance, because I'm in a trauma unit and there's like 15 people in there with me, including a police officer when this is going down. I was like, what? That's not where I was injured. <laughs> I have a gastroenterologist. How do you say that? Gastroenterologist? Enterologist. Yes, I have one of Yes, and I have to get up as far as possible. It happens um, because there's a history of colon cancer in my family. Um, and um, so I guess about six weeks after my last colonoscopy, I had to go to the gynecologist. And I sit down. You know, we're going to have a discussion before we have the gown, um, the lovely paper gown. And my husband is there. And um, this is when I had my um, uterine biopsy or as my husband likes to call it, that day, because <laughs> he was not prepared for that. <laughs> he thought it'd be a procedure with anesthesia. There was no anesthesia involved. I didn't even get a volume, okay? Um, anyways, I said, I don't need an anal exam today. And my husband's looking at her like, he didn't say anything, right? So she says, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, I had to go get a colonoscopy last, you know, a couple weeks ago. So I'm good. I'm cool. I don't need that today. And she's like, okay, good. Okay. And she marks it off on her chart and says, you ask for my doctor's name and I give it to her. She says, I'll just get those records and it'll be clear in my system and we'll be cool. So, okay, great. Fine. I have to get a uterine um, ultrasound. The look on my husband's face when that nurse rolled that condom down on that wand will never, <laughs> ever get old. <laughs> Anyways. True tales of the butt. Who knew? But yeah, it doesn't have to hurt. Um, and you don't have to make it hurt in your fiction. Um, and I, you know, I was reading a, a live journal thread years ago and I heard, um, 
there was a person who responded. It was a man. He said he had never in his life had anal sex that didn't hurt. And I was like, you need to go see a doctor. (laughs) I don't think your anus is any different from my own. Except for that whole prostate thing, which I think you should actually enjoy it more. (laughs) Yeah, that, for, 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 uh, that's really because either the, he's, his prostate is super sensitive because some guys have a very sensitive, yeah. very sensitive to stimulation of any kind. It's super uncomfortable for them. Um, they're never going to be in anal sex, um, and that's just the way that is. That's just the way they roll. Uh, but if that's not it, if that's not the cause of the discomfort is from the prostate, then something's amiss. Something's very amiss. Also, I don't think you can actually scissor. Two fingers in the anus. Maybe if it's a well-used anus, but if if it's well-used, I don't think you need to scissor. (laughs) Honestly, you get a better stretch. (laughs) Two fingers of each hand and pull apart. Just saying. <laughs> the voice of experience is spoken. <laughs> I don't recommend it. It can be startling, but, you know. <laughs> um, Whoa. Now, what was um, that? The thing is, is um, having... She said earlier, you're talking about, you know, researching BDSM in order to write it. Um, Not having experience doesn't exclude you from writing BDSM in any means, in any way. But the more detail you provide, if you don't have any experience, the more obvious your inexperience will show. Mm -hmm. But you can can have a very satisfying... um a, a very hot BDSM uh, SM scene of some sort um, that doesn't get too much into any kind of specifics. Um, you could just, I mean, th- there's ways to prov- to do brush strokes at something um, that that provide the detail that's needed um, without getting into how exactly somebody. I mean, honestly, when I start reading about you know chains being set up through this and quick release clamps, and I'm just like, ugh. I mean, I can tell, actually tell when somebody knows what they're doing with some of that detail, but it, it's honestly, it's, it's not very hot. It's kind of a snooze for me anyway. People may really like all that detail. Um, but the problem is somebody who's inexperienced can't tell which detail is real and which detail is not real, which detail is completely ridiculous. Um, so it's, Learning learning BDSM from fiction is is not the way to go. If 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 you're looking at BD from looking at a really detailed scene as being an instructional guide, don't. No, no, no. Because I think people put in a lot of detail that was all very very wrong. I'm like oh, that's not the way that works. Nope, that's not the way that works either. <laughs> Just keep going. I think I read an entire scene where I was like. Oh, that's not the way that works. Oh, that's not how that works that way. Exactly. Oh, no, I can't do that. That instrument is way too long to be using it for a spanking across somebody's lap. That's not going to happen. I think the submissive just died. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, what I would say. Also, this is actually this is this is this, I'm, I'm gonna give you a pro tip. Um, Jilly writes a very deep POV, and we've talked we've talked about POV before. Um, point of view for those of you who don't keep up with writing terms. Um, <clears throat> when you're in a POV of your submissive um, in a scene. That point of view is going to be very different from the point of view you would have for a dom. Obviously, they have a different mindset. Um, they're approaching the scene from a different angle. You might find your dom having a very clinical mindset, um, setting up a scene and even enacting a scene, um, putting their sexual desires second or perhaps even third in their considerations because um, th- depending on how involved the scene is. Um, and the deeper your POV is, the more you have to pay attention to that. The difference between um, the chaos that can take place in a submissive's mind during something very pleasurable and the order that a dom must have in their mindset when they're in a scene. Because it's, it's night and day. A submissive has the most freedom in a scene. Um, they can let go. Yes, there's a responsibility. You have a responsibility to your dom in a scene. If something's gone too far, you're uncomfortable, you're starting to hurt, you need to let them know. You need to use your safe word. You need to use your red light or your green light or your yellow light to let them know, okay, something's going on, something's not right, something doesn't feel right. That's your responsibility, and that's entering into a scene. And your dom is responsible for your safety and your emotional well-being and your sexual pleasure. That's the whole point. So when you look at the different points of view, the deeper your POV is, the more you must pay attention to that. But if you're uncomfortable riding in either one of them, I recommend that you choose the submissive's point of view and ride the POV a little high. Mm-hmm. So that way you're not um, bogged down in the, the minutia of the event. You can con- you can you can concentrate on the emotional content of submitting, um, but ride it really high so you're not having to dig too deep, and it will you kind of gloss over the dynamics that you're not comfortable with. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. That's there you go. I, yeah. No, so, so. Now, one way to write a dom's point of view um, without getting into the detail because it is it is easy. Um, if you know what is going on, to just because the dom is so focused on more on logistics than, than the submissive is, it's easy to go go to that place. But because it is, it, I would say you know, every every I'm sure every dom has a different experience. But a lot of doms I've talked to, it is a much more cerebral and less sexual headspace during the event. I mean, you, I. I would definitely say it's more sexual turn on as more of a tertiary thing at the time because you've got a lot of other things going on um, at the, at when it, when it, during the scene um, than um, than sexual arousal, um, but you can go to that kind of cerebral space about what what, what the the dom's headspace is like without getting into setting up the equipment or whatever. You could just say while he's while he set up his, you know, equipment, 
he focused on, you know, the curve of her back and considered, you know, wondered what it would look like after 10 minutes under his whip or something like that. I mean, you can go to, um, to where the Dom's head is that is not about the gear. Um, and that could be a difficult place to go to if you don't have any experience with that, um, which definitely makes it, just in this point of view, I think easier to write in the sense that um, I think many people have at least some experience of what it's like to be held down in bed and enjoyed it or what it's like to be not in control during sex, to have somebody else calling the shots. To some degree, a lot of people have some experience with that, of what it's like to give up control or what it's like to um, enjoy pushing against restraints or something of that nature and what it's like to feel unburdened by that or feel free or feel Mm -hmm. Um, what it's like to not have the responsibility in that time um, to just kind of give it up. And people can kind of get maybe even more easily into that headspace than into the, um, it might be easier than to get into the headspace. It sounds a little, maybe sounds a little bit more sociopathic. I don't know. <laughs> right. Because you, that, that's the risk you run um, in your Dom's point of view. If um, it can get very clinical instead of sexy, uh, it's, and it can come off like a like a sociopath. So you have to be very yeah, careful. Yeah, it can come with off that. like a sociopath. Yeah. I probably. Or on the other side of it is, is that your sub can come off selfish if you're not careful. Selfish and focused on their own pleasure. So if you if you rise the top of the POV <coughs> and don't dig too deep, you can create a scene that's. Um, sexy and not bog yourself down in the details and not bore your reader and, and keep it moving with your plot um, and, and not have to worry about uh, whether or not you've tied the right knot. Which, by the way, I've been tied for those knots and I still couldn't tell you. <laughs> I don't care about what the knot's called. I never did. <laughs> You know, I had, yeah, no kidding. I had a, um, um, actually, I think one of the most unrealistic things I, I read, and I'm not, I'm, I'm certain this Dom is out there. I just haven't met many of them, like any <laughs> one. Um, the most unrealistic Dom I read in, in fiction um, is the altruistic Dom, um, who's just there to make, you know, I exist as a as a dom to to make submissives feel good and find pleasure and you know and I'm all about you and what you want and what I want doesn't matter and it's like oh I just you know um, the dom who isn't getting there's no equality there out, and that bothers me yeah the dom who isn't getting anything I mean it's a power exchange right it's that's what you know and so the dom who is just basically a service submissive with a whip, um, it kind of doesn't resonate authentically because... It's kind of like going to see a doctor. Right. The Dom has no preferences. The Dom can do anything. I'll do whatever you want. I'm just here to make you feel good. Um, if you don't want to do that, it doesn't bother me. I mean, no, I have, I have, I have 
I mean, most doms I've ever met have very strong preferences. And you don't always line up in your preferences with submissives, no matter how hot you think they are. You know? But, it's a fantasy, know, though, just, right? To have someone there whose sole purpose to, is to make you feel good and safe and comfortable and um, make you come. That, that's a fantasy. And, um, but it's not a relationship. No. It's because incredibly just like your relationship between your boyfriend and your girlfriend uh, or your boyfriends and your girlfriends um, or your boyfriend and your boyfriend, whatever you got, whatever you got going on um, or nothing. It's fine to have nothing. Sometimes I wish I had nothing. You know, people, people <laughs> are a mess. People are a hot mess. Okay. And sometimes it's better. You're like, you know what? <sighs> Anyways, <laughs> I don't need to build a soapbox. Um, what I would say is is that the BDSM relationship, the dominant submissive relationship, is um, it's, it's give and take, and there's trust on both sides, and that's true for a regular relationship. You have to be um, capable of giving and receiving, and if you have a situation where your dom is very closed off, very unwilling to explore their own pleasures and kinks, um, then that's a situation that's not healthy. And it'll burn fast. Because in a submissive um, mindset, you want to please this person. You want to make them happy. You want to provide them um, with what they need. But if they're not willing to admit or explore what they need, it becomes very one-sided. And it can be very... um, Emotionally unsatisfying. Mm-hmm. Incredibly emotional. I explored satisfying. that slightly in Ties That Bind with Matt and Evan. That Evan was a little closed off about what he needed and wanted um, because he had been hurt and he wasn't. He didn't know he, if he could open up the way he wanted to and he thought that he needed a collar on a submissive before he could open up. But that made Matt very, very uncomfortable. So I explored that just a little bit. I didn't want to dig too deep into it because it's um, the kind of thing that can um, – I didn't want to manufacture angst for the story, but I wanted to touch on it um, because it's important that there are two people in this relationship and they both have needs. And with a submissive, part of that need is not just to be pleasured but to provide. Yeah. That that's part of the mentality. I don't. I I, different times I haven't gotten out of negotiation with submissive because I they were too selfish. I mean, they really only cared about what they wanted, and they were giving me orders about their aftercare and what they expected and exactly how I was supposed to do it. And there's, I don't know. I it 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 it, one one on the one hand, it's one thing to know what you need. It's another. On the other hand, it's another thing to go into. It'd be like going into a sexual situation and saying, this is your script. Don't deviate from it. Um, um, I mean, that feels like you're hiring a professional. And that's not a, an, an equitable sexual encounter where one person has a script and the other person is, is performing to script. And it's the same thing with uh, the dominant submissive thing, is, is relationship, is you have to come together and it has to be, um, equal, not in 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 the sense that you're both getting what you need out of it. And um, I, the, I mean, there was I, there, I can't say I would never play with selfish submissives because I did a lot of demos and we, I do these things called we call them tasting menus where you could come in and try 
um, like you'd have like, you know, 20 doms in the room who had different areas of expertise and people could come in and try something they never tried before for five minutes or something like that. Um, and so, yeah, definitely in effect, I would sometimes get submissives that were really obnoxious sitting on my table or something for five minutes, but that was a really different kind of scenario than someone I actually went down to do a scene with and we negotiated with. Um, and I'm really you know, intrigued by that. The tasting menu? Yes, but I'm married, was, so I can't be too intrigued. Well, no, you'd have married couples come in. Yeah, I mean, we'd have, you know, um, or you, you, a dom and a submissive come in together, and a dom doesn't do certain things, and you'd be like, oh, my submissive really, and I usually I was doing fireplay at these things. My submissive is really into, but here's what fireplay feels like, and it's not my thing, and, you know, I'd you know, let her or him, him or her experience it, and then she'd go off and, you know, try the bull whip on the upper floor or whatever, you know. So it's not curiosity. Yeah, but speaking of um, being uh, being a masochist and being um, is um, when you're with somebody who knows the depth of your masochism, they're not normally open to letting others hurt you. <laughs> if they're very into monogamy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's not to say that I have any interest whatsoever in anybody else because I don't. I mean, I'm, I'm at my age, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm totally done with that shit. Um, but... Uh, it's, it's something to keep in mind for your characters is when you have a character who has a specific, very deep kink, like Rodney does, that, you know, John's very careful about the people he allows to um, touch Rodney, which is practically no one, um, and most especially not in aftercare, because he knows that even in aftercare, um, pleasure there. And that's not something that he wants anybody else to give Rodney. Yeah. So, I mean, it kind of depends upon people's relationship with a couple. It depends upon, you know. But these things are just they're, they're really not very personal. It's not something where you would like, when you're going to a booth and you're going, I would like to to see what uh, a, a single tail feels like. And um, the you know, you've got a woman, and it, you know, people have their bios up, and she's like, oh, she's been practicing single tail for 20 years, and, you know, um, and you go up and you see what it feels like, and maybe because it's particularly this way, I mean, the whip, the, the cracker this lady used, her whip was just like the longest I've ever seen, and you just don't get to experience that necessarily easily in a lot of one-on-one situations, and people would sign up to go up and spend five minutes with her and check something, see what something was like. And um, so it was, these are usually charity events, but it's not like the person coming to you is not coming to you to negotiate a scene. They're coming to you to experience this one thing for five minutes. And it, so it's not a case of, you, you know, you guys have to negotiate because you're what they're there for. But I mean, the negotiation is like, well, what part of your body and da 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 da, that kind of thing. Um, but confession, it's not like it's, five minutes under a single tail, not becoming. <laughs> <laughs> Some people do. Some people do. Um, <laughs> just, I'm just saying. <laughs> but then you're also talking to the same person who had an orgasm during um, allergy testing. 
I did, they had somebody doing clay piercing. Um, and she yeah. would just do like for each person because it was because she didn't have a lot of time. She would just do like one or two needles to see if we could see what it felt like. Um, and then she'd pull them out and she'd put a little band-aid. And you could tell who had been at the play piercing one, right? Because they all had a little band-aid on. Um, but, you know, it was, it was just for people who hadn't tried certain things or didn't have access to certain things or were curious about BDSM, what they might like. And, um, and, and we sold tickets and we raised money for, you know, um, usually LGBT-related charities. And it was, mm-hmm. it was a good time was had by all. Um, but so, so I've, done, I've, I've played with a lot of people I haven't done negotiation with in that sense because, and I've done demos at places and um, I manned the spanking saying that um, um, – one time I man the spanking at Folsom. They're doing a spanking thing and people could sign up to get spankings. And, you know, but I mean, that's really different than negotiating a scene with somebody. And, you know, sometimes you just, in the, you know, in the negotiation, the reason why the negotiation process is important is because this is when you know if you're compatible at least to go to the next step. And if the Dom has no preferences, that doesn't make any sense. Oh, you know, I, you know, it's one thing to learn something. If they don't have preferences, then why are they even in the scene? Right. They haven't have a kink going yet. Right. Right. But it's one thing I've I've learned things for a submissive I was really into who really liked something that wasn't in my repertoire, and I've learned something for them. That's how I got into Fireboy. Um, and which really intrigues me. Hint. <laughs> I'd love to read that. I've never read that in um in in fan fiction. I've I've never read Fireplay. I think it'd be really interesting um to read. That's my fangirl poking in a little bit. It's <laughs> okay. really interesting. I like the idea of electricity too. I love electricity myself personally. Um, it's it's a big kink for me. Um. But I'm also that person who really, really, really enjoys sticking their tongue on a battery. I like that. You just need a wand. I don't wand. do you it. You need to have one. <laughs> makes you think I don't. I used, I used to do violet <laughs> wand demos at, at. I used to do violet wand demos at Pride, and I would have like 30 people in the tent who were terrified, and I I could get every single one of them to come up and try it. I was be like the person like, you know, this is what it's like. This is I promise you, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna show you some one person one brave person who thinks that this is like the scariest thing imaginable to just come up and try this out, let people know what they think, and before it would be over, they'd all try it. <laughs> and Violet Wand sales would be boosted the world over that night. <laughs> I know I always wanted to put one in ties at mine, but um, I'm a little nervous about it. Because uh, I I really enjoy it personally, um, and uh, <clears throat> I guess one of the reasons why I've I've never done a full play piercing scene in ties that bind is because it's so it immensely it immensely turns me on, and I'll have a hard time finishing that scene. <laughs> I don't have to go off and have business with my man. <laughs> And then come back and finish it. Because <laughs> that's, and that's, you know, so you'll, you'll probably never see play piercing because just doing that scene where Sean was play piercing before, like on the stage, and you didn't even get to see how that happened, I was done. <laughs> done for the night. Finished writing. I got extra stuff. Just that's it. Really, just really. Visualizing it. It. It's like, woo. If I have a, the, the single biggest 
turn on for me as a masochist is play piercing. Bar none. There is there is no It's the most. It's delicious. But also, you know, um, the thing is, is the two of us having um, different experiences on the, on, in the spectrum as far as dynamics go. It's, it's really interesting to talk to Jillie about these things because she's so different from me in, in this perspective. Um, but like we've already said, you don't have to have these experiences to... to um, to write about them, um, but you need, to be, you need to be responsible with how you write about them. And if you have a question um, about uh, BDSM, look it up. Do some research. Google is your friend. <laughs> There's tons of information out there. Tons. Um, there are so many sites that, especially, and the number of sites who want you to get it right, who want to give you good information, grows every day. Um, yeah. Because you know, I think I think the BDSM community wants to be understood, and they want people to play safely. So the information is there. It's just waiting for you to ask. There, there are forums you can go to to ask questions. You might get answers that are wrong. You'll get answers that are right. Um, you will also get just, some really opinionated questions. You know, if you were asking me a. a, a uh, a, a question about a, a dom's experience or what I think it's like for a dom. And so you're going to get a very different answer from me than from any other dom out there. Um, but those different answers are I good am, because it gives you a variety of um, options for your character. Right. And also because, I mean, some people, people are on a, people are on a spectrum. So I'm, um, I'm a lot, I'm a lot more cautious than I would say a, a lot, probably in like top twenty percent in cautious about certain things, which is why I don't do things. People, I don't use implements on people. I haven't tried on myself. Um, so, a word caution: you'll also you know, get offers. Don't accept them. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm, I am, but not. <laughs> not I'm not saying that's a, that's not necessarily a life philosophy that you that a dom has to adopt. It's just something that I was taught, and so it's what I do. Uh, I mean, when I learned fire play, I was set on fire for that, <laughs> for, that for that experience. Um, there were two of us training at the same time, and I lit her up and she lit me up. So um, it was, um, you know, I, but everybody's experience there is different. So people know they weren't going to, some people don't play that way. And also there's something that, I've, that uh, people do routinely in the scene that I would never do. So it's just, um, everybody, people's experiences are, are different um, in, in in what they're willing to do and what their limits are and that kind of thing. So I can, you know, anytime anybody's at giving you their perspective on the scene, um, except for some, some very hard and fast rules um, about safety, um, it's everything's, you know, on a, on a spectrum. Um, which is why uh, often just websites that provide basic information can be more helpful for learning versus, you know, saying, well, is this good practice or not? Because everybody, you know, is, is it a good practice to have alcohol? My opinion is emphatically no. Um, legally, ethically, morally, in every other way, it's a bad idea. Um, but somebody else is going to say, oh, yeah, it makes the party better. 
So, you know. But uh, there are some logistics that I, 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 I hope that you pay attention to um, when it comes to to physical acts, um, as far as circulation goes, um, and, and breaking bones. <laughs> I, I had... Um, I had uh, purchased uh, very, very cheaply on Amazon a, a BDSM novel, and in the first um, uh, chapter, the the dom spanks uh, the heroine with um, a paddle, and he spanked her flat on his knee. He had her, he had her over his lap, and he was spanking her with a paddle, and she complained several times mentally during the spanking because it was her point of view how much her tailbone was hurting. I deleted that book from my Kindle. Yeah. There shouldn't be, you shouldn't be getting anywhere near the tailbone in a spanking. When you're using an implement on another person, you avoid the spine and the tailbone. Mm-hmm. It's not up for discussion. You avoid the spine and the tailbone because those things, the tailbone can break very easily. Um, in 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 those situations, especially in some of the poses that you get put in, and damage to the spine. Come on, people. <laughs> that's a that's no. not that's just that's, that's not, not even a, that's not even a thing. <laughs> you don't do that. It's just, it's just it's it's very dangerous. Um, and so uh, just. That kind of thing, when when you put that in your book, if if, if that hits your, uh, that's that that's bad, that's bad. So you need to know the the basics of the activities that you're going to do and the emotional content that goes along with those, because she was taking it, she was accepting it like it was normal. It was not normal. No, it's not normal. And you know, I mean, people choose to disregard elements of of the basics of BDSM all the time because they think they can't figure out how to get the dynamic they want with things like, I don't know, safe words. Um, that's just a cop-out. I mean, you can have you can have tension in a story without and still have safe words. You can have, um, um, I just, I find that a failure of imagination when someone tells me that they can't have the tension that they need in the, in the relationship if the submissive is granted a safe word. I was like, oh. I want to slap somebody. I think the yeah, lack right? of a safe word is is like one of the biggest sins you can commit. Because yeah. it also it, because it, the implications are deep. Number one, that the submissive has absolutely no no equality in the relationship. It has to be give and take. Submission is given. It's not taken. And two, they have no responsibility in the relationship and in the same. And that's bullshit. Yeah, just what happens to them is just what happens. Um, the other thing that is, to me, that is almost as bad as sin and that I see a lot, way more than I would like, um, is, is um, you have a safe word, but if you use it, we're over. I see that so much, and it makes me so mad because that means that, I mean, that's, that's coercion. It's the worst yes. kind of emotional manipulation. It's like you are really into this dom. You really care about them. You really want them. And you, you've been given this out for your own safety and sanity. But if you use it, your relationship is over. 
what kind of fucked up shit is that? Now, I have been so, in scenes where I've seen a submissive have two safe words. One with this, okay, we need to stop because something's wrong and we need to readjust. And another one is, I want out. Get me out of this room. Yeah. Get me out of this building. And that's different. Um, sort of the yellow. And, that's the yellow-red thing. Yeah. And with, and with, with an inexperienced submissive, that's exactly where you go to is the stoplight. You know, it's like if, if you... If we need to stop, pause, and talk, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna untie you. We just need to reassess. Just say yellow, and I will stop, and we'll talk about it. Um, if but when when a submissive reds and they use that red, it, it's not a, it's not a case of pause and talk about it. Is you immediately get them down. You get the, you get the restraints off. You let them go. You make sure they're completely unhindered. And you said, okay, what's happening? Because. Sometimes, you know, sometimes it's not, sometimes it's not even a physical thing. Sometimes, because I've been in this situation where somebody has an unexpectedly strong emotional reaction to something and they freaked out and they weren't in physical distress, but they freaked out and they read right out of the scene. And I got them down off the cross and I was like, okay, are you all right? Do you want space? Do you want water? What do you need? And when she calmed down, she talked about what was going on and we figured out what had happened and it had nothing to do with the scene. It was something she had asked for that she had an unexpected reaction to. And it just, just, just what they call them trigger responses, is she freaked out. And when you get that word, you let somebody go. You get, that's what that it means. All, everything stops. It has nothing to do with, it, with the DOM. And that's one of the things that can, can come on the DOM is that if someone says red, it has nothing, you, you, doesn't, you don't take it on. It's not personal. You stop the team. You figure out what needs to happen next. You take care of the person and find out. Then you then you assess, and then you figure out what's next. You don't get offended, get upset, say, okay, you know our relationship is over. And I read stories like that where the person, even if they've got a safe word, they use it. And the dom pauses and goes, well, you know if I let you down that you're leaving and you're never coming back, right? I'm like, oh, my God, what am I reading? What is this like, Yes, that's what I mean, down, down now, right now, down. Because you don't need, you don't need to deal with that kind of emotional bullshit, lady, fiction person. <laughs> Just get out. But you know what? And with, if you um, ever encounter that real life, walk away. I think the only time that I've um, read that in a fic where I agreed with it is when um, she agreed to a capture scenario. She um, she agreed to be taken hostage. <laughs> In quotes, it was part of their negotiation, and she had a word to use if she wanted out of the hostage situation. He would take her from the cabin where he had brought her, and he would take her home. That would be the end of their play, not that he would never see her again, or it was just the end of the scenario. So he would let her, you know, she needs space. We're going to give her space. Here's your apartment. I hope you had a good time while it lasted. <laughs> That was entirely different because that was part of the setup. But to yeah. but to have a safe word basically you can only use if you want to end your relationship implies that you really don't have a safe word. No. It's not a safe not word. Not if you're at all not if you're at all invested in the relationship. And that's just it's really an ugly. So don't go there in your fic. Don't go there. Don't don't because basically that kind of edges it. Because if a submissive has a safe word they feel like that they can't use, 
you're edging at consent problems. I mean, you're kind of tap dancing around it. And why? I mean, I feel like people keep trying to find new ways of introducing consent problems. (laughs) I think people do. You you can't ignore that there is an element of of readership, whether it be fandom or professional writing, that enjoys that kind of fiction. They um, have rape fantasies. They read rape fantasies. They um, actively seek out writers who skirt or destroy consent boundaries. Um, And they're not rare. These people are not rare. I actually had several people message me um, in ties when I was really heavily publishing on ties that bind posting um, who who asked me more than once if I could have a rape fantasy scenario for Rodney and John and it, oh god it was so horrifying I was like please stop please please stop because you're making me really upset <laughs> it's just really upsetting <clears throat> One of the, I got to hit on um, her secret. That's my Harry and Hermione story where she's visiting a fetish club and Harry finds out about it. And he follows her a couple of times before he confronts her. And I had a, a scene at the end where he spanks her. But it's it's not, it's more of a kind of a domestic discipline situation and an establishment of his willingness to engage in this kink with her than it was BDSM. Um, And I thought that was clear when I wrote it, that I wasn't writing Harry um, embracing BDSM in full or – because he doesn't even really know what it is yet. He's not there. But he's willing to explore this for his wife because he loves her. And he even enjoyed spanking her, which which he didn't think he would. But he did it, and he enjoyed it. And he's like, oh, okay, we can, we can kind of work with this. <laughs> so it's an exploration and him expressing his willingness to to indulge in this kink and this fetish for her. And I thought that was really clear, but apparently not. Because more than one person commented that Harry needed to learn BDSM before he started doing BDSM, but that's not what he was doing. At the most, it was domestic discipline. (laughs) Yeah, a a lot of people, um, you know, hold their spouse down in bed, want to be held down in bed, or get a a spanking. Um, You know, as long as you're, I mean, I don't know if there's any really special training that needs to go on for a good over-the-knee spanking. Um, If somebody is getting hurt in that scenario, that's a pretty extreme over-the-knee spanking. Um, it's, it's a problem, is, is what it yeah, is. Yeah, it is a problem. Yeah, I, it's just there's some things that it just, you know, of all the things we've I have put done classes on, um, using your hand to spank someone's butt, other than telling people where not to strike, but that's a really easy thing to figure out. That's a really easy thing to, to look up is where you should not hit somebody on the butt. Um, it's just, it's, it's, you know, probably since the dawn of time, um, there have been consensual spankings happening in in the marital bed, so to speak. Um, and I don't think that uh, it's something that someone needs to go and find a mentor for. Um, and I don't even honestly on. consider it BDSM. I mean, I knew a guy in college who liked me to smack his ass. 
during intercourse. Yeah. He really, 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 really enjoyed it and asked for it. I had no problems delivering it. (laughs) But I would not have considered that relationship BDSM. That um, There were no other elements in the relationship that even remotely qualified. And I don't even think that it was the pain part that he enjoyed. Because I'm, I, it wasn't like I was able to wail on his ass, considering the position that we were in. So I wasn't actually hurting him. It was just an extra bit of stimulation, I think. It was a, an emotional stimulation more than anything else, which makes me really think about him now. I want to ask him questions, but I don't know where he is. <laughs> I need to ask questions. I have questions about this ass making we did in college. <laughs> Sorry, not really. So here, here are my questions. But no, I'm, I'm, I'm now I'm just genuinely curious because I don't really think it was about the pain. Because I don't think I was capable of delivering a really stinging kind of pain in that position. You know what I mean? Probably not. Yeah, no. But it may have just been that a little bit of sting, you know, or it could have been. You're probably right. It probably was a psychological element of somebody smacking his ass during. But sex. he really enjoyed it. He really, really, really enjoyed it. I hope he's listening to this podcast. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Anyways, <clears throat> but he isn't even the first man that I've encountered that really enjoyed that who would never in a million years consider themselves submissive or masochist or even a dom or any in any other range of it. Oh, we're down to 42 seconds. Anyways. Say goodnight, Julie. <laughs> we're out of time. Goodnight, everyone. Play safe. <laughs> and write safer. That's right. Thank you.